Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favourite football podcast back for another week. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host there. And I'm joined once again by our Rank God, Mr. Sam Tai. How you doing, mate? Hello, my friend. Yes, I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yes, I'm very good. I'm much better than I was at this point of recording mm. last week, at the very least. Uh, and of course, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. How you doing, mate? Yep, good, mate. Yeah, always the three of us. We're always here, aren't we? Us three. Us always three. the three of us. No one else ever turns up. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, <laughs> you never know. You never know when the when a Maybe we should make a January sign in. Who would you Maybe. sign? Who would, Who would you I sign? sign? Yeah. Um, what are we missing? Some flair, some flamboyance. That's me. That's my job. Oh, you're supposed to be. Yeah, we're signing Mudrick, mate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that, that's who we're bringing. We're bringing Jack Grealish in for sound bites. That's uh, that's mm. what I would. That's what I would like yeah. to have uh, on the podcast. We we have nothing better than sliced veg on on this podcast. I think that would send <laughs> us into the stratosphere. To be perfectly honest with you, uh, we're going to be talking transfers as it is January. Uh, with a little bit of a twist today, but we'll get to that in the main ranking. Before before we do so, we started this episode last week, Dean, by talking about Chelsea looking to sign Enzo Fernandez. That has not gone to plan, um, but they are trying to rectify the situation by throwing money at something else. Yeah, I couldn't get Enzo Fernandez. They're going to sign Xiao Felix. Um, nice one, Chelsea. Um, yeah, so last week, obviously, we, we led uh, this part of the pod by talking about the fact that they were trying to close in on Enzo Fernandez by the end of the week. And um, you know the, the deal, as we were expecting, the offer did go in. Um, but actually, what happened was that Chelsea in the end agreed with us. He wasn't worth over £100 million. So they didn't offer it. They offered like €85 million, Euros, which was exactly in the ballpark of where you two were talking when I said, hang on, if this, let's just put our foot on the ball here. What's this guy actually worth? And um, it turns out Todd Bowley was listening and was like... <laughs> Oh, I'm overpaying for this guy. Uh, so he's he's gone to them and said, actually, I was listening to Ranks and they said it's 85 million euros, so I'll do that. And they said, well, that's absolutely not the terms and conditions of this transfer. He's got a release clause, mate. Go away. Um, and yes, yeah, I mean, they've, they've basically annoyed them with that. Um, nothing's impossible, but right now that deal is not happening. Um, and if it's going to happen, then Chelsea have basically a hundred million upfront to now pay. Um, there's no, there's no um, payment plan being set out for them um, as they would have initially looked at. So that's weird because they've really needed a centre midfielder and it looked like they were going to overpay to get that. Instead, they're going to slightly overpay for an attacker, which I guess they kind of do need given that Pulisic and, and Sterling are now uh, have suffered injuries and their attack hasn't been great anyway. Um, don't mind the fact that they're overpaying for this. Um, I think Arsenal should have been doing it. I think that actually, if Chelsea do sign Chao Felix, one of the biggest wins from it is that he hasn't signed for Arsenal. Um, so that's one way. Maybe they're just trying to stop Arsenal from winning the title here. They're not too worried about how it influences their own season. <laughs> At the moment, um, as we're recording this on Tuesday, it's looking like um, just a straight loan for Chao Felix. But um, there's a reason for that. Um most clubs don't want to bite on an obligation that's going to be 
in excess of 100 million because you don't know how the player is going to fit in, whether you need him. Obviously, Chelsea are signing Christopher Nkunku too. Um, so they need to figure that out. Um, but also, from an Atleti point of view, why offer a first option? Because there'll be other options that will be available to him in the summer anyway if this goes well. So why say, yeah, you can have him if it goes well? Doesn't They, they don't really care, Atleti, do they? They don't care where João Felix ends up next. They just want to make sure that they get some return on their investment here. So, João Felix going to Chelsea. Fulham fan, I don't like it. Um, if I was a Chelsea fan, I think I would like it. He's going to add something to that team. I'm not sure it's like the answer. I don't mm. think like this solves the actual problem that they've got. But he's good. I mean, what's your, what's your, what's your hot take on, on João Felix at Chelsea? Does this get them into the Champions League? Does this just give them another headache for Graham Potter to contend with? What do you reckon? It's a strange one, isn't it? Because I saw a tweet from, from Marty Hill yesterday on on Twitter that basically said they're going to pay 11 million to try and get into the Champions League, which gets you around 15 million of revenue, which seems like seems like a gamble that is is quite a risky one. Um, yeah. Obviously, it's now that's not, the, not, really not about the only... Revenue, though, is yeah, it? exactly. It's not really about that. It's about, it's about trying to move them into the table. It, it's a strange one. Like... Obviously, he's a very good player. I texted my friend Max, voice note Max, of, of this parish, uh, who's a Chelsea fan. And I said a couple of things. I said, can you wait till Friday, please? Because Fulham are obviously playing Chelsea on Thursday and have no interest yeah. in seeing Charles Felix come off the bench at Craven Cottage for Chelsea. No. Um, I said, I'm concerned that his movement is a little bit similar to Havertz's, and I'm not quite sure how the two of them work in conjunction. Um, and I feel like they're picking up a load of players who would work Thank really sure. well off a number nine in the mould of Olivier Giroud, whispers it quietly. You know, it's one of those where you're what like, about oh. a top two? What about a top two of Havertz and João Felix? Like a I, new Morata and João Felix? I don't I, think I either, don't none of them would spend works. any time in the bit, Box. in the area of the position where they're supposed to be in. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah. I think that, I think that Felix has an edge on Havertz in the, the fact that he obviously works really hard. Look, Havertz is one of those players who I, obviously I love and I'm, I'm not, you know, taking away from him here but he's one of those players whose language style means that if he doesn't come up with the goods on the pitch fans can turn on him quite quickly because it doesn't look like he's working really hard whereas I don't think they're going to have that problem with Jao Felix because he's a bit of a well he's a bit of an idiot on the pitch sometimes he, he bombs around and makes things happen and he often like lashes out he, he's a bit of a an angry footballer and I think he has that edge on Havertz in some ways in that fans will probably take to that a little bit more than they have done with Havertz. But it's just one of those where I'm like, do you not have enough of these kind of players already? And I'm not sure that it solves any of the real issues in terms of getting mm. someone in the areas that they need to be in that mm. Chelsea have right now up front. Just seems like um, Chelsea are determined to buy one of the players that had a wicked World Cup. And uh, Enzo Fernandez didn't work out, young player in the <laughs> tournament. So... Joao Felix, who who played every game for Portugal, I think, or at least all, all the important ones, and was a surprise inclusion, but did an amazing job with it and really put himself back on the map. Uh, you know, well, all right, we'll turn our attention to him. Like, we're getting one of you. Someone from yeah. this World Cup is going to come and play for Chelsea. It just, <laughs> we don't, we're not sure who it is, but it might just be Joao Felix. I mean, I'm with Jack in that it, this seems like the last mould of player that they need in terms of quantity, because they have so many. But then it's also clear that all of the ones that they've got aren't really working out for one reason or another or don't quite fit or aren't quite in form or are injured. 
And yeah, I mean, I'm sure they're feeling the pressure. They're looking at the table and they're seeing how far off the pace they are in terms of where they want to be. And this is what January is for. It's for short-term fixes. It's for plugging holes. And a short-term loan for Joao Felix in the wake of two injuries and some and some poor form from others and maybe a couple of departures. This is very January, is probably how I'd put it. Yeah, I mean, the other thing to consider, I mean, this is a response to losing 4-0 at Man City too. And, you know, I, I said it on Patreon, I think, like, that was one of the worst Chelsea lineups I've seen in 15, 20 years. Like, by the end of that game, it was just a mismatch of players from different parts of the club over two or three different yeah there was no cohesion areas. i don't think There's necessarily no on, on, in terms of names it was the worst lineup we've seen in a while but in terms uh, of actual i think it probably was cohesion i, think it probably was. I completely agree I think in terms of like established play, there wasn't enough like of course like some of these players like amari hutchinson and, and stuff like they're going to be players at the moment like hutchinson david fafana they shouldn't be near a fixture like that they shouldn't be and like this i know chelsea have got injury problems but typically they wouldn't have found themselves in this situation it's a massive issue for graham potter and he's you know he's got had enough on his plate he's now got you know bad form and injuries and a hundred million pound footballer to figure out um it's always a new a new thing thrown into the mix for him um this should be a good thing for him to have to deal with might not be might just be another complication Mm. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, look, Cole Palmer obviously played and started for City and, and played the whole game. Rico Lewis came off the bench. There are elements of this where obviously young blood was being utilised. Sergio Gomez played from the start for City. So I can see why you know, you're looking at that and seeing how Pep integrates those young players. And you can see what Potts is trying to do and get them into the into the mix. Um, because we've, you know, we sat here and talked about Rico Lewis a couple of weeks back and, and said what what a player he's he's kind of emerged into in such a short space of time. Someone who Pep clearly looks like he can rely on and feels like he can rely on in big games. And, and so I can see why Potter is trying to embrace that youth element. And obviously we've seen Lewis Hall come in and do all right, I think, generally for Chelsea. I mean, obviously this wasn't a great experience for him. You can imagine being absolutely tormented down that flank by Riyad Mahrez is is not particularly amounts of joy, I'd imagine, for a young player. But I think there's plenty of hope around Lewis Hall. And I can see why they're trying to bring these youngsters in and, and blood them so that there is that kind of idea of a, a pipeline to the first team. But equally, does it feel like the place to do it if you're getting absolutely spanked around by one of the best teams in the world by the... But in the cup, probably not. But they're different scenarios as well. You know, these city youngsters get to step into a system that's uh, it's a foundation rather than a system. They've yeah. got, you know, okay, they put three youngsters in, but then they've also got seven outfield, you know, senior players who know this system inside out. The youngsters have been playing it in training. They've been learning it for years. They slot in, they do their job, they know what it is. The, Chelsea don't have a system because they've already had like six systems under Potter, however many different formations. Almost always, I would add, he changes because of injury. He's had an injury here, an injury there, and Reese James goes down, then there's no midfield, and he always has to tweak it. So these youngsters for Chelsea are stepping into a situation where they're like, so can you just remind me what the game plan is? Or like, so what, am I in a midfield two or three? Because it changes all the time. Whereas yeah. City's, City are very settled. It's much easier for a youngster to step into that scenario. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, in that sense, it makes sense for Pep to use the cup in order to get a couple of players in. It doesn't make sense for the Chelsea youngsters to be, I don't want to use the phrase, but kind of thrown to the wolves a little bit 
in this sense, playing the best team in the country and away from home and, oh, and we don't know what we're doing. Oh, cool. Baptisms of fire, I think, <laughs> is probably the phrase I would, yeah. I would I would use to describe it. Um, I mean, Potter's a little bit damned if he does, damned if he doesn't there, yeah, because if he plays sure. the first team and people get injured, he's like, what people are like, what are you doing? And well, why on earth are you, are you focusing on this when the league is clearly the priority and trying to claw our way back into the European places is the moment. But if he throws yeah. all the youngsters to it, it's, it's oh God, this Chelsea team are dreadful. So the lesson yeah. here is just don't draw Man City in the cup. Well, to be fair, it has to be a team from SW6, apparently, because it's been Fulham the last four years. So I think that it's about time <laughs> someone else got a go at playing Man City in the third round of the cup, because that just seemed to be our fate for, yeah. for as many years as I can remember, really. So yeah, well, uh, I'll really take cool. it. I will take it. Um, right. This isn't a Chelsea podcast, by the way, everyone. Don't worry. We're not going to start every week by talking about Chelsea. It's just that they've been... They've uh, been the big movers so very far. Top the market, yeah, they're the, they're the big movers. They're the good story. And, you know, we cannot off, uh, avoid the, the chance to talk about João Felix when he's on the brink of a move like that. Absolutely not. Right. After the break, we are going to be talking players who need new homes and helping them find them. Uh, and I'm excited to reveal to you that I'm going to be doing a main ranking. The boys have let me off the leash. Uh, so there's plenty. I'm nervous about this. He gets this a, go a year. He gets this one a year. Anywhere. He's cashed yeah. his chip in January 10. I mean, I haven't cashed my chip in. I've uh, been told to what to do. And as usual, I have obliged. Um, so we'll leave it there. But uh, after the break, we're going to be talking about all of that. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it is time for our main ranking. And today we're going to be looking at five players who are unwanted, unloved and need a new home. And we're going to be trying our very best to rehouse them. We've done it in order of how unwanted they are, basically. It's uh, how how much that they, they need this move in order to get some minutes and, and get playing. Um, and I'm going to start us off at number five, where I've put Jaffet Tanganga, centre-back, full-back, 23 years old at God. Tottenham Hotspur. 23 already. Hasn't it flown by? Exactly. And he's he barely done anything. Yeah. He's been him since he was 22. He played, he played, since he's 22. Yeah. He, he played the first game back from the World Cup, didn't he? And I remember thinking, oh, Jaffet Tanganga. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, he was pulled in that game. Um, I he mean, look, good, when yeah. Tanganga burst onto the scene a few years back, it looked pretty good from pretty much every perspective, right? He was young, versatile defender. He put in some big performances. I remember making some, his name with some very impressive displays against both Liverpool and then Manchester City in a game that Tottenham won and he was man mm. of the match. But he's clearly not in Antonio Conte's plans, even with playing at three at the back, where we thought that that right centre-back position seemed to be perfect for him. You know, he's kind of a right-back centre-back hybrid. Yeah. That that felt like the natural fit for him to, to drop into, but it just hasn't worked out. He's made only three appearances this season. He was pulled, as you say, in that two-all draw with Brentford. He got a few minutes off the bench to see off a win against Marseille in the Champions League, uh, and he played 90 minutes against Portsmouth in the FA Cup this weekend. Uh, but he's 23 now, as you know, and he really does need to start becoming a first team fixture somewhere if we're going to see his potential. So I think he needs a new home. He's probably a little bit too old now for that promising youngster category, isn't it? He, he's kind of like, oh, you need to get going, my man. Um, yes, reports, but 
But if you cut open his legs, how many rings? Because that's the key, yeah, isn't it? That is true. That is true. But still, I, I still think he's, he needs to get going. Um, and the reports are suggesting that Spurs would be willing to take around £10 million uh, as an offer for him. You'd think that there's a bargain to be had there for the right team. So I've come up with a couple of options where I think Jaffet Tanganga should be having a look. And the first of them is Atalanta. Gasparini (laughs) likes a three at the back. And his right centre-back of choice, Raphael Tanoi, is excellent. But he's not getting any younger. He's 32 years old. Uh, Alas, Smalling and Tamori, I think a Serie A move might just get the best from Jaffet Tanganga. And it's not been a brilliant year for Atalanta so far. So perhaps it'd be the kind of environment that he could ease himself into. Um, yes, it's a little bit rogue, um, but I, I I like it. You know, I spent a long time looking at clubs that I thought mm-hmm. Jaffet Tanganga might fit at, and I've decided that I think he'd be a nice fit at Atalanta. He's an aggressive front foot defender. He likes to get out after people. He's relatively comfortable on the ball. I just think that Atalanta might be a nice space for Jaffet Tanganga, you know, slightly away from the spotlight, slightly away from the pressures of things to just ease himself back into form and and back into a side. So they're my first suggestion. I like it. My second suggestion is Roma. I mean, talking of Serie A, it was Mourinho who really took to Tanganga, wasn't it, during his time at Spurs. Roma are in need of defensive reinforcements. And so I think this one might be a goer. Interest was reported in the summer. You'd imagine they're monitoring the situation. And I think Roma feel light at centre-back, considering they play a three-at-the-back system. And that versatility, I think, would be of use to Mourinho. So a reunion with Jose Mourinho at Roma, I think, would would be lots of fun. It's probably less out of the spotlight, you'd, you'd imagine, than uh, than an Atalanta move would be. But a manager that trusted him at Spurs, a manager that saw the potential in Tanganga, uh, and a system that I think he'd fit into quite nicely. Uh, I think I think Roma could be could be an option, and I think they do have some cash to spend across the course of this window. So. Yeah, Roma, Roma won for me there. Uh, and the final option, a little bit of a different tack, is Brentford. This feels like the kind of bargain that Brentford would pick up. You know, obviously Ben Mee is having a good season, but in terms of long-term, buy low, sell high player, Tanganga strikes me, if it is a 10 million offer that Spurs will be looking at, as their kind of deal. Thomas Frank likes to mould formations on the fly. Having a player on the pitch comfortable operating in a number of roles, I think would be a useful puzzle piece in making that easier. And familiar surroundings, remaining in London, could be something that appeals to him in terms of not having to completely up and shift his life cross-country, cross-continent, even cross-city. He'd be able to kind of remain within the city that he currently calls home. So, yeah, mm. they're my three options for Jaffet Tanganga. I'm, I'm interested to see if there's, there's any more or, or which of the three you think would be the best fit. So you've really keyed in on right centre-back in a three. Well, no, because uh, Brentford or... actually play quite a number of formations. I think he'd be quite comfortable either right back or centre-back in a Brentford four as well. So would so you were talking about staying at home there or staying in City, and I'm looking at Palace and thinking that something at right back may need to change in the future, the near mm. future with blessed Joel Ward still going, um, but an upgrade possible. Well, maybe Palace. Palace, Crystal Palace Culture Club for Jaffet Tanganga, the latest in the line. Yeah, mm. I, the only thing I have a, a slight issue with that is is that Chris Richards went to, to Crystal Palace, a player that we like a lot, and has basically mm. not played any minutes whatsoever. Well, so, he, well, so he, yeah, when you peg him as a centre-back, you'd have to peg Tanganga as a right-back in this scenario. Okay. 
You'd have to um, do that, which may, which may, I don't know if, if it's the right thing to do, but because I think he is better at centre back. But for him, I guess it's all about minutes right now. That's why Atalanta is actually the best scenario mm, of the, yeah. all the ones you've chosen. Would he be willing to go abroad? I mean, that's the big question, isn't it? Like, not, you know, generally speaking, we talk about the rest of Europe and like, um, we don't think twice really about linking players from any other country to go into another country. Uh, but any player that's been established in an English club, we automatically assume they're going to stay or move to another English club. Um, so that's... Not not me, not in this book, not in this well, ranking. Yeah, we're, ch- we're changing that now, aren't we, fortunately, which is good. Yeah, it, it's starting to change for sure. And I mean, you know, little success stories like Chris Smalling, I think hopefully give players like this an awareness that they can broaden their horizons and definitely improve um, as people and as players by by moving abroad. And it's starting to happen more and more now. So, yeah, Tanganga um, should be open-minded about what the future will hold because he does need, really, a coach and a system that he knows he'll thrive in. The, the Roman idea isn't the worst, to be fair. Um <laughs> Thanks, mate. I just don't. <laughs> High praise from Dean Jones there. <laughs> I don't see him going to Atalanta. That is so rogue. Oh, it's, like, it's only about an hour from Milan in the car. Yeah, I, I, the thing I think that, that I just Dean's don't probably spot on there is. with is that if you <laughs> come into... I don't know who he is. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But if, you come into, if he comes into Roma, right, he's got a manager that he already knows and, and yeah. trusts. He has Chris Smalling in the defensive line who would be yeah. able to act as a kind of mental figure and Tammy Abraham's there as well. So there's this kind of English-speaking yeah. core there yeah, which you'd imagine he'd be able to, to dial into a little bit. But also at Atalanta, Adamola Lookman is there. That is true. That is true. He would not even be like the first Premier League player to, to make that step to Atalanta. So, you know, there's links everywhere here. Yeah, well, there you have it. Yeah. Um, good. Right. Okay. That's Jaffet Tanganga. Um, I, so the reason I put him at five is because I think there might be a chance he could just wait Conte out and the next <laughs> manager might be like, that guy's actually quite good. Maybe we should play him a bit more. Maybe. Conte clearly just doesn't seem to like him, but I don't think things are perfect at Spurs at the moment. And you can, you know, we've talked about it before that, Antonio Conte is a combustible human being. And at sometimes he's just like, right, that's enough. I've had enough of this. I'm moving on. Um, so, so there is the Did chance. you consider Jed Spence instead of Tanganga? I did he, consider Jed Spence, but I figure that... he needs a move. Well, I figure that Jed Spence is probably going to go on loan. Because I he feel is, like... Yeah. Che- Tottenham wouldn't have bought him in the summer to then sell him again in January. That's, um, one, for, that's one for Palace. Palace can have... It. Uh, Jed Spence on loan at right back. Well, that one of the reasons that. I didn't consider this is because one of the honourable mentions, we're going going this test list in a weird way, but you know, was was Aaron Wambasako, who clearly does need a move, who's linked back to Crystal Palace and would fill the right back void. And so therefore I kind of just see that one as maybe a given, which is one of the reasons he's one not on the list. And mm-hmm. two, why I didn't consider uh, Palace okay. as, a, as a place for a right back right now. So, so no that was uh, part of part of that thinking. Right, we're going to move on to number four, where I have put Memphis Depay, uh, striker, twenty eight years old at FC Barcelona. <laughs> Memphis decided to stay and fight for his place in the summer, but. He hasn't fought for it very successfully. Uh, he gave up that number nine shirt for Lewandowski. And even with injuries and suspensions, he hasn't been able to force his way into Xavi's plans whatsoever. He's accumulated 206 minutes this season against Cadiz and Elche in the league, Victoria Plazenia in the Champions League and Intercity in the Cup. He's had more minutes in six games for the Netherlands than he has in half a season at Barcelona, even if there are injury issues which have contributed to that. Basically, it's not looking good, bro. It's not looking good. <laughs> um, Xavi, 
has said he's happy with him. But again, this might end up coming down to Barcelona needing to recoup a fee instead of letting him leave for free in the summer. We know Memphis is an excellent footballer. We saw it again in the World Cup when he did get those minutes. He just needs somewhere where his style is going to fit. And I think he thrives more in locations where he really is the main man. I think there's a possibility that he's available relatively cheaply given that expiring contract, although his wages will remain high. So, options. Manchester United. Uh, A reunion at Old Trafford still seems like the most appealing option, even if they are interested in getting the Valtvec horse deal over the line. Maybe they can play two up top a la Netherlands, um, and, and make that work. Uh, Ten Hag obviously likes Martial in that nine role. He's talked about before about the fact that the Frenchman's link-up play and his ability to get in behind are both part of the package that he wants with his number nine. I think Dubai brings both of those things and arguably to a higher level. He contributes in build-up phases. He links passing moves together. He's a huge penalty box threat now. Uh, and I think Memphis clearly feels that he has unfinished business in Manchester and he's a very different person and player to the one that joined them in 2015 and left them in 2017. Obviously, you see posts from Memphis, like the one when Wayne Rooney retired, where he was like, really sad I didn't contribute to a higher level when I was playing with this legend. And you're looking at going, yeah, he, he, he wants to sort this out, doesn't he? He has, he has eyes on sorting this issue out of Manchester United and, and feeling like he, he can actually add something to this team. I think it's probably the most obvious option, the Manchester United one. Obviously, the links have, have, have been there, but even more so than those Cody Hackpo links, which we were a bit, not confused by, but I think we, we were a little bit wary of in the fact that United saw him as a number nine and we weren't completely sure that was where his best position is right now. I think Memphis is is fundamentally a number nine at this point. And you're looking at a player here who I think would, would really fit the way that Ten Hag plays at Manchester United and, and I think would bring a lot to the table at this point in his career. Mm, yeah. It's an interesting one. I mean, look, we'll see what happens with the Veghorst thing. If that was to collapse, then they still need a solution. We know they're not going to spend money here. Um, that's probably the biggest issue because it sounds like Barca, um, at one point, like a few months back, it sounded like they might just tear up Memphis's contract at this point and just be like, okay, just move on. Like, that doesn't sound like it's going to happen. So um, you know, I'd have to make a, a decent offer if they were to go and, and get Memphis. Um the club seem open to him going, although I think Xavi would want him to be replaced in the squad. That might be the problem here. I, don't know I think Xavi they... would like him to stay, but I just don't think Barcelona have the funds to turn down an offer right now. Yeah, that's it. I mean, obviously, like you say, he's going to be a free agent. Um, so we're approaching the time when a situation like this one becomes very interesting because there's going to be like two weeks or so left of the transfer window very soon. And that's when players start to get twitchy. Um, they start to panic a little bit. And someone like Memphis, like you say, who's clearly already feels like he's got lost time to make up for, is going to be watching another half a season of his career passing by. And that can't happen. It can't happen. Like this for this whole season to just pass him by and just say, well, I did play a few games at the World Cup and did all right. That, that's not enough for him. He's got, he's got an ego. Like, he's got a big ego. And, like, that's not a bad thing. Like, that's what you need in a forward, especially a player like this. And so, yeah, hopefully someone gives him an outlet because he needs it. Yeah, I'm I, just I just like the idea. Yeah, I'd just be surprised if Barcelona can genuinely afford to get through this month without without sort of selling him. Like, 
it's not really a comment necessarily on Barcelona. It's not a snide comment on Barcelona, though it's obvious that having missed out on the Champions League knockout stages, they probably need to reassess a few things financially after going so close to the bone in the summer. But just like who, like which club on earth really, unless they are filthy, filthy rich, which Barcelona are not, which club can really not afford to just like let a player like this go who played 211 minutes, did you say, Jack? 206. 206 minutes in the first half of the season. A lot of that coming from a cup game against CF Intercity. Like it's, it's, this is an expect, this is like the definition of an expendable footballer to them. And no matter, like given the wages that he will inevitably on, like you just, it just makes sense to sell this player with six months yeah. left. The and fact that, it, the fact that Ansu played through the middle in, in that game against Atleti at the weekend when Lewandowski wasn't available has got to be a death knell, hasn't it? Like, surely that, that's the kind of thing you go, well, if Ansu's playing through there, then how do I fit in? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I'd really hope that Memphis starts, starts pushing for something here because we all just want to get to see him play regularly for another top team again and just see him enjoy himself. Because when he's, when he's on it, when he's feeling it, when he's smiling, he is a sensational watch, isn't he? So yeah. let's let's get to see it. Yeah, so I'm not to figure out where he would fit in the I've Premier got, League. I've got some on. alternative options. Okay, uh, on. The second is Arsenal, because now it looks like they've missed out on João Felix. Mm, Arsenal yeah. might well still be in the market for a striker to help them cope with the absence of, of Gabi Jesus. Now, yeah. obviously, Eddie Nketiah is doing beautifully in his absence so far, but... You know, this is a long-term injury by the looks of things. And when you've got that going along and you've got that kicking along, it's one of those things you're like, well, what happens if something happens to Nketiah? Who's going to play through that? I mean, arguably Martinelli could play through the middle, but you don't really want to shift the winning system. And so therefore, I think they need cover here. Um, whether it works long-term for Arsenal or not is, is maybe a slightly different question. But for now, the fit works nicely. And given the kind of fee being thrown around, it does seem like it would be within their budget. And it's the opportunity to to become a spearhead figure in a project right in the up and have a chance at winning titles straight away. I think that would appeal to Memphis yep. right yep. now at this point in his career. I um, think this makes sense one... to everybody, to be honest yeah. with you. I would I would I would I think it's a great fit for Arteta as an as a nine. I think it's a great idea for Memphis to go and challenge and step in. Great idea for Arsenal to have the depth. Love it. I just yeah, I, I'd be slightly worried about where it leaves Nketiah when everyone's fit but and, and what, what Arsenal's kind of plan for his, him is long term but equally right now can they afford to throw away the chance of of actually challenging for the title that they've put themselves in such a good position for I don't know so no. so there's a question question marks over that um, the third one is one we've touted in the summer Juventus I still think this would be a good fit yeah, Juve seems like a good spot for Depay to reignite his career um, Allegri appears to like playing with kind of two up top and number nine and then a second striker which would give Depay different options and allow him to play in a similar style so that he plays for Holland at international level um, Juventus are winning at the moment but narrowly the defence appears to be somewhat sorted but a new lease of life in attack I think would be welcome respite for the Juventus fans so I still think this works um, maybe not quite as well as the other two, but I do think that there's there's a place here at Juventus for someone to, to step up and and start a, a, a new kind of era in, in this attack alongside Vlavic and, and Moise Ken. So, yeah, I, I still quite like this one. Can he score yeah, well, 87th minute goals every week? Because yeah. if so, he fits right in. Yeah. I'm sure he could. And also, like Vlavic's future up in the air, like we don't we don't know for sure that he's going to be at Juve next season. They'll definitely be 
interest in him. So I, I can see that being the case. I think you've done, Jack, I've got to say, you're doing a good job here. You're doing a good job of your transfer episode. So well done, mate. Um, <laughs> I, I do think Arsenal is one that they need, to, this is that they need to explore. There aren't that many options, backups that Arsenal can genuinely look at and think, right, this guy is gettable. This is one of the few, as we know, because Man United have been looking at it, that can be done. So it'll be interesting if they, if they go down that route. We're, I actually think it's likely that they will explore that. I think it, I really do. Yeah, yeah, I do too. Um, although I do feel in my heart of hearts that Manchester United is the best option for Memphis. Um, you hear some of the statements he's made about his time there. And he was like, I blamed Van Gaal. I said he was a dickhead. I blamed Mourinho. I said he was an asshole. You know, I, I was blaming everyone but myself. I look back and I see that now. And I, I, if I... If I had another chance, I'd do things differently. And I'm going, mm, he wants another chance. <laughs> he mm. definitely wants another chance. So I think that's the one that probably looks like the biggest go of. And it's going to be very interesting to see how that pans out. Um, right, let's move on to number three, where I've put Hussein Awar, uh, attacking midfielder, 24 years old at Lyon. 24? Uh, seem- Where's it gone? I know. I know. It doesn't seem that long ago that while well, I was looking at a 55 million euro move, right? And that's because it was last summer. Um, he's had a tumultuous <laughs> season at Lyon, who sit eighth in league. Uh, the more vociferous Lyon fans have turned on him. We're seeing posters outside the training ground basically demanding that he starts to perform or he leaves. It's probably worth pointing out that he's not the only one. Jeff Rain Adelaide, Moussa Dembele, Carl Toko Akambi, Thiago Menchel, targeted too, but still. Um, he's available for free in the summer so someone could probably get a bargain now a fee of around 15 million euros being thrown around right now in the french press 15 million euros down from 55 million euros lot from one summer that obviously has to do with the contract but that's a big hit um it's worth pointing out that he's somewhat reclaimed a starting spot under Laurent blanc uh, and he's picked up a minor injury in, in the most recent game against clermont uh, leon though with league on clubs still somewhat cash strapped might need to accept a bid rather than lose him for free in the summer. He's probably failed to fulfil the expectations lumped on him, but he is still young and is a delight to watch on the ball. Balletic at times, an eye for a pass, never flustered. I love watching Awa play. Um, and it just feels like maybe it's all time up or time at the bar with his hometown club. And and I think that whilst there'll be a lot of sadness around that, the fact that he was a, you know, a local lad who looked like he was the kind of bright young future for Leon, it might just be time to sever ties on this one. Uh, so a couple of options. Uh, first up, I put Tottenham in here. I think he'd fill a creative void in the middle of the park for Tottenham. And I think the fit would be good with Ben Tancur and slash or Hoybier. I think Conte would like him. He's not bereft of defensive work rate. He's robust enough to play in a number of different roles. Um, and I was talking to Chris Hamill on Twitter. He said he's in the top 5% of midfielders in the top five leagues for shots, dribbles completed, touches in the opposition box and progressive passes received. I think he could be the, the link man here to get this side firing again under Conte. Um, the risk, obviously, though, that he'd still remain a bit part player, especially with Conte's kind of flicking between a 3-4-3 uh, and a 3-5-2. In a 3-5-2, I think our fits beautifully. In a 3-4-3, I think it's a little bit more ropey in terms of just how he fits into this side, but I still think it would be a, a nice balance on this. Um, Raul Betis, there's long-standing interest from Betis, uh, and considering the success that Nabil Fakir, Fakir has been at the Via Marine is understandable. I, I think Fakir, in, in so many ways, is kind of 
our spiritual predecessor at Leon. And, and so Betis looking to bring in Alwa makes loads of sense. Uh, it does appear, though, that Betis can't move until the summer, which suggests they might be usurped in this window with someone... Uh, by someone with the cash to spend. Although, although Betis do look like they're about to sell Axe Moreno for around 12 million euros to Aston Villa, which maybe does actually free up this cash for a move in this department. I think he'd make a nice fit alongside Guido Rodriguez in the midfield here and bring a little bit of creative sparks to this pivot. Betis have been a little bit one-dimensional in midfield at times this season, I think. And and when they can keep 11 players on the pitch, um, it, it does feel like they need just a little bit more to to just start to break teams down who, who they're struggling against. And Auer, I think, provides that from the middle of the park. Um, AC Milan, Milan are apparently nosing around this one as well, and you can see why, but I do wonder because centre midfield doesn't appear to be the area that they're desperately short in. It could help with that creative over-reliance on Rafael Liao and Teo Hernandez in Milan's attacking patterns of play. Um, but my question would be, does it mean even fewer minutes for Yassine Adli, who hasn't really got going at San Siro? And is that something that they'd be willing to, to put on the table at this point to spend more on another player who fills a similar creative role, I think, in many ways. Uh, and finally, Newcastle United. These links have been prominent, but consensus seems to be that Newcastle would see Awa as a James Madison alternative. Now, Dean, I want to just speak to you about this because we were talking about the way that Newcastle wanted to utilise Madison and we were talking about the fact that they might want to utilise him on the wing. Um, and so if, if they see Awa as a kind of Madison alternative, is that a fit we'd be looking at? Because that makes me uncomfortable. Um, still, a relationship of sorts with Bruno Gimenez can only be a good thing and he'd be coming into a project well on the up. So there are my four options for Hussein Awa. Mm. Yeah, I mean, primarily that is what they would have in mind for James Madison if he was to join. Um, obviously, over time, like Newcastle's shape will change and like Eddie Howe's got other ideas for how this team can play. But at the moment, they've got a pretty fixed um, notion of how this works going forward. Obviously, Alex Isak's deal to come back into the fold there too. So, um, yeah, that, that's an interesting, an interesting one. Primarily in this market, Newcastle looking at signing a forward and a central midfielder, so he kind of fits in there. Um, Tottenham, they want a centre midfielder, then then he's absolutely grand. It's just if it's they want to play six, him on the though. wing. Yeah, more of a six though. The the, the central midfielder. Um, I mean, Tottenham is an interesting one again. Like I think I've said it on here before that they feel like they need a a player more like Kulusevski um, if they're going to sign an attacker and doesn't sound from what you're saying there like you feel like he could fit the Kulusevski role no um very in, well so they're in a funny one there because like obviously ideally you get you get two of the three don't you in behind Kane you get you get two of Kulusevski, Son and Richarlison in there um not r- rather than one so three four three feels like it should be the dominant formation which only leaves you two spots in midfield mm. when they play three four three and Kulusevski is injured then they really lack creativity. So you feel like they need to move to 3-5-2. And that's where they and then they need that player like Alwa. And like we've been talking about this window, we've been talking about how Malinowski would be a nice, a nice pickup there, but he's gone to Marseille. Like so that, that one's deal, out. for what so, it's worth. Yeah. So I, I mean I like I like the thinking. The problem for Tottenham there is that like you're buying a player for a situation you don't necessarily ever want to be in. Yeah. And and that on Alwa is I find that I think that would be a tough sell. But like, yeah, we want to bring you in to play as one of the eights in three five two 
Ideally, though, we don't play that formation because Kulisewski's not injured. Um, it's, it's a, I think it's, he could and, play and in a 3-4-3 three, the... three against weaker teams. I just don't think you want to... If you're going to play a 3-4-3 three, three against teams that are going to dominate the ball, you need two kind of more yeah, robust well, hard-working, robust players in the middle. Now, Awa's defensive work rate is better than I think people give him credit for, but it's definitely not as good as Ben Sankur and Hoybiez. No, and those two aren't getting dropped out of the middle. They are they are a brilliant midfield too. So I'm basically, I'm more or less saying that from Tottenham's perspective, this is a tricky one rather than maybe Awa. I'll be honest, I've been sat there while you were talking, trying to scratch my head, trying to think of the last time I saw Awa play because I haven't seen Leon recently. And it... <laughs> The only thing, I can only picture Nabil Fakir <laughs> because it's like Alwar wants to be Fakir, you know, wants to be on that trajectory. It's been a while, Alwar. It's been a while. Get that man to Betis. That's my that's my solution. Use the Alex Moreno money. Stick Juan Miranda in at left back for the rest of the season. Buy Frank Garcia in the summer instead. And buy Alwar now. Get ahead of the punch. Get ahead of the game. Get ahead of the competition. And just stick him in this midfield alongside Guido and Betis start to cook, I think. Well, unfortunately for you, I saw I saw on Twitter this morning that the first player on the list for Betis as a replacement left back is Matthias Vigna of Roma. So they oh, may no. not be going they may not be going down the route that you've chosen for them. No, I'll have to message them. I'll have to let okay. them know that they've made yeah. the wrong decision there. Um, anyway, Awa to Betis. That's my uh, that's my decision on Awa. Uh, right, let's go to number two, which is where I've put Kaylor Navas. Oh, here we uh, go. Let's here manifest we go again. it, baby. Come on, here then. We go again. Goalkeeper, <laughs> 36 years old, PSG. Uh, it feels a bit like we're swinging around a well-worn trope, but it's clearly time for Kaylor Navas to move on from PSG. Last season, we saw him share duties with Gigi Donnarumma, but with the Italian clearly now the mainstay, surely this feels like the perfect time for Navas to make his final stand get in Europe. Get out of that club, Kaylor. Yeah. Get out, get out. Well, maybe in Europe. Maybe in Europe. We'll come to it. Um, he played 26 times last season while Donnarumma started 17 games, but he's no longer the number one, even if he does hold the shirt. Navas actually made his PSG debut for this season last week in the Coupe de France against Chateauroux, where PSG won 3-1. Captain Costa Rica at the World Cup. Uh, he did concede 11 times in three games in the group stages, but I thought he proved his worth, especially in the 1-0 win over Japan, where he made some stunning saves. He was very, very bad against Spain. And yes. it was said that that was his worst ever performance in a Costa Rica shirt. And I think he followed it up with possibly one of his best. Yeah. Yeah, um, look, he's got over 120 clean sheets in 300-odd games at the top level. Um, so I don't think there's much question about his quality and caliber the sticking point might remain that he's on roughly four million a year salary euros uh, so who has the minerals the beans to cover that if it's going to be a loan plus a loan fee you'd imagine so options uh napoli alex Merritt remains number one but napoli need experience in this side i think if they're going to get over the line and Merritt, as we saw last season is prone to a mistake. There was a link in the summer when PSG signed Fabian Ruiz from Napoli, but the deal didn't get over the line in time. Uh, and look, it's a chance to be part of a title challenge to join a European giant as a last hurrah. I think this ticks all the boxes in, in many ways. I just don't know if Napoli are going to gamble on bringing in a new goalkeeper and maybe upsetting squad harmony at this point in the season when they've done so well mm. so far it's this season. I mean, one, they lost it? their first game and and that would be a bit mad to drop Merritt at this point so he'd be going in as a number two which is clearly not what he wants to do right now um but with the chance to maybe usurp Merritt as number one as it gets to the kind of business end of this season yeah it makes all the sense in the world until you remember that <laughs> 
changing goalkeepers halfway through a season is just is just an absolute last ditch scenario for so many top teams, right? It's it's so difficult. And that, and and therein lies Caleb Navas's problem. If he'd have made this switch to Napoli in the summer, which made perfect sense back then as well, I don't think anyone bats an eyelid. He just basically wins the starting job and it's all settled. But making it mid-season is really tough. I think we need to, I think we need to be looking at a club here who are in desperate need of a goalkeeper. Like they like they've got a recent injury or a massive well, problem. Well, I've got one for you. Well, I've got one for you in the shape of Bayern Munich. Yeah, so there's a, there's a problem with this one as well. Well, Manuel Neuer's skiing injury puts Bayern in a weird place, doesn't it, in terms it, of goalkeepers? You're uh, right, but PSG play Bayern in the Champions League and mm. I just don't think PSG are going to send Navas to Bayern one month before they play him. No, yes, obviously. It's, and that this, is going to be and, a sticking and, point. And you're, like, you're totally right in that this is perfect. Perfect, because Neuer went skiing. But if you're PhD, you'd be mad to do this, wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah. I mean, look, just taking that out of it for a second, just in terms of what, what the fit is, like the, the question for Bayern is, do they want to use this opportunity, and I, I say that in inverted commas, um, to recruit long-term, or is it basically just to fill the gap until Neuer returns? Because if it's the former, then they should be going nowhere near this. Yeah. Um, but if it's the latter, this surely makes the most sense. It's an opportunity to play for one of Europe's greats for Navas, and for Bayern, it's a safe pair of gloves to steer them to the title and allow a European challenge this season. Now, obviously, you have to throw the PSG caveat in, and then you have to throw the caveat in to see what Bayern are actually looking for because it does make sense at some point for them to recruit a long-term successor to Manuel Neuer who might get six months now and then maybe have to sit for a year and then suddenly come back in and be like cool that's me <laughs> um and so obviously they've got the Jan Sommer link on the on on the back burner um but yeah if they if they're going short term then this is clearly the obvious solution seems like it all you know recalling uh Alex Nurbel but I don't think they're going to be able to do that. I don't think they can get an agreement sorted with Monaco for that one. The early reporting is that that's not really been possible. So I think they're actually, unless they can get something over the line for Jan Sommer, I do actually think they are running out of short-term options, mm. you know, yeah. of a, a certain experience or calibre to go and ste- step in and play for Bayern Munich. It's not, it's not the simplest task in the world, you know, with the expectation. So, yeah, I mean, if I were them, I would start to cast my eyes towards the long term. Uh, but that is a very awkward conversation because Manuel Neuer is a Bayern Munich legend. Yes, and club captain. It's it's all mm. quite tricky. All quite tricky. Um, right, I've got a couple more. AC Milan. How bad is Mike Mignon's injury? Because Milan need backup in this area desperately. He's missed so much of this season. He's missed 14 games in all competitions. Milan find themselves seven points behind Napoli in the title race. Could this be the experience and now to lift them back into contention? Because I think if they're going to try and retain this crown, they need an upgrade even as a deputy if they're going to be so reliant on said deputy. Because obviously Magnon, it kind of feels like he's like, oh, this week he might be back. And it's like, no, he's not back. This week he might be back. No, he's not back. And I, I'm starting to worry about Milan in this area because if you know, Menon's injury problems persist and it continues to be his calf that's causing him problems. This is the second time he's been out with a calf injury this season. I think they might just need someone to come in and just steer the ship a little bit. And Navas feels like a really sensible option in that regard. Two million is, you know, would be the kind of loan covering his salary fee. Uh, Obviously, there will be a loan fee on top of that. That doesn't feel like all that much if they're going to tr- you, you know, need it to actually push themselves back into title contention. Yeah, Mignon's calf is troubling us all, isn't it? I mean, mm. 
every week. You're right. He's close. No, 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 he's not. He's close. No, no, he's not. I don't know what's going on there at all. And um, yeah, I think it's probably fair to say that you'd, I'd have limited faith in Tata Rashanu to to see out the title. <laughs> well, see out the title is the wrong phrase. They're seven points behind. To launch them back into that conversation and be such a difference maker as Mike Mignon can be. For Navas, though, it feels cloudy again, doesn't it? It's like, well, you'll call on me if you need me, that kind of thing. That's currently that's my current situation. I know he gets he probably gets a couple of games initially, but what happens in February? I'd be cautious around that too. Am I just am I being am I being too protective over our beloved Kayla here? Or am I being sensible? I don't know. This is a tricky situation. Yeah. Um the mm. final option I've thrown up here is Club America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did get linked to them the other day, didn't he? Well, Memo Akoa has obviously left to go to Selenitana, which is going very well for him. But it's a major opportunity at the, one of the world's most storied clubs. He'd be close to the home. There's an obvious void to fill. He would go in as number one. Um, I mean, the kickback is that reports suggest he might want to stay in Europe for now. Um, but I thought it was one worth bringing up at the very least because it is an interesting story. Uh, so the, and- the Club America goalkeeper situation, I have an unusual amount of knowledge of. Due to Great. so rare, due to so rare, and the situation is thus: Ochoa, his contract expired, and he decided, you know what, I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to Europe, and everybody was stunned by that. So, as an immediate reaction, Club America bought a goalkeeper called Luis Malagon from Nakasha, Nakaxa. I don't know how to say that. Um, who were also in the Mexican first uh, top division, they took their number one off them. And then they've installed him as their backup and they've given the old backup to Ochoa, the 34-year-old uh, Jimenez, they've given him the gloves to start with and said, you guys can battle it out. And then on top of that, they then expressed interest in Kayla Navas. So I'm leaving that one well aside. That is a Mexican soap opera. It was a Mexican standoff. Between, it's between the, between, honestly, between the sticks. It's, just, and it's absolutely anybody's guess. But I mean, look, Expand expand the conversation, and you've probably got a, a bunch of teams in in South America there that, that that would have a vacancy. And there's a there's a bunch of there's a bunch of teams, and I don't know if he wants to go there, but in MLS, in MLS, which is obviously very close to home, it's very attractive to South and Central American players. There's like three or four teams, three or four of the best teams, still looking at goalkeeping solutions. You know, New York City FC don't have uh, a goalkeeper that is actually signed to a contract because Sean Johnson's off touring Toronto looking at that. I mean, what about New York City? I mean, it's a pretty cool place to live. There's, there are loads of options for Kayla, even though I've just sat here and done nah to all of them. <laughs> nah, I'm, I'm sending him to AC Milan, I've decided. I think that's actually the spot. Mm. I think Leicester should go for him. They need a goalie. They desperately need a goalkeeper. Um, but I don't think that quite has the prestige of being like, oh, Milan could do this. Um, so former Premier League champion. Former mate, Premier League champion. He has not forgotten that. Reigning, reigning, <laughs> reigning Italian champions, AC Milan, are, I think are the best bet for Kaylor Navas. So I'm going to leave it there. And we'll move on to number one, which is Rick Karsdorp. Here we right go. back, 27 years old at AS Roma. There has been a complete and utter breakdown of relations at Roma between Karsdorp and Mourinho. And that has led to him being exiled from the squad. Uh, It looks like irreparable damage. So Roma are going to have to sell. And yet the situation means the fee remains cheap. There's still a good player in there. Uh, I think he's better offensively than defensively. And shock horror, we've seen the best of him at wing back rather than full back. But I think at this point in his career, he's a relatively solid all-rounder. There's plenty of clubs on the hunt for a right back. 
um, not including Crystal Palace for obvious reasons. Uh, so you'd imagine there will be suitors, although a permanent deal, I think, is what Roma are demanding at this point in the window. So, options. Juventus. Short at right wing back and definitely interested. The main question seems to be over whether Roma would sell to a direct top four rival in Serie A right now. Um, they have a real crushing need for cover in that right side of defence. Danilo feels more like Allegri sees him as a centre back these days, for better or for worse, Sam. Uh, and Weston McKenney has been filling in at right wing back in recent times. Karsdorp uh, brings Serie A experience and now he gets Juve ahead of the game on the fact that Quadrado is 34 now and his contract expires in June this one does seem to make sense as a short-term option but if Roma want a permanent deal I don't know where that leaves Karsdorp if Juve then go in to find and you know an upgrade in the summer but I think right now it feels like a really obvious solution and um, Inter also need cover for Denzel Dumfries uh, which has been in relatively short supply so Karsdorp could join Mkhitaryan in switching Jalo Rossi for Nerazzurri. Uh, there's an international relationship. Uh, Karsdorp and Dumfries will know each other well from international duty. Plus, De Vrij adds a real Dutch presence in that camp. Uh, similar look to Juve in both pros and cons. Would Roma sell to a direct rival? But if they will, there's Serie A experience and wing-back Naus uh, that would both come in handy. Um, I've gone next for my beloved Fulham, who are desperate uh, for cover at right-back. Kevin and Babu has been deemed absolutely not up to scratch by Marco Silva and Kenny Tete's injury history is a little bit patchy because uh, obviously has that relationship with Tete as well over international duty they've been competing for starting berth before in the Dutch national team um, but there is a potential question mark over whether he'd suit a return to a back four at this point in his career and finally I've thrown Feyenoord in here um, he obviously came from Feyenoord went back there on loan that last return didn't go brilliantly but Final order on a slightly unheralded title charge in the Netherlands with a relatively youthful team. Um, right back Marcus Pedersen is excellent, but he's also in pretty high demand. Uh, Saints are reported to have inquired in the summer, and there's a few others keeping an eye on that situation. Uh, Karsdorp would give them experience and depth going into title races. They attempt to lift the trophy for just the second time this century. You know that? They've only won it once since the oh, century wow. turned. Um, so... Yeah, Karsdorp, a couple of options. I'm sure there's more than this, um, but they're the four that I picked out for him. Two, if he'd like to stay in Italy. Uh, one, if he'd like to have a go at the Premier League. And one, uh, a joyous homecoming as Feyenoord looked to try and lift the title. I mean, it's been made pretty clear that he won't play another game for Mourinho. So from one perspective, it's just like, yeah, to all of them, any, anywhere will do. Like yeah, he's Adrian not going to This is anything. And I, I, Roma will be... I mean, pe penny for the thoughts of the general manager at Roma here, Tiago Pinto, who must be like, well, the absolute last thing I want to do is handle a transfer that sees Rick Karsdorp go to, go to Juventus when we're both in the same fight for a Champions League place. But Mourinho has kind of sold me down the river here because he's been so incredibly public and clear about how Rick Karsdorp has no future. So, like, I just have to get rid of him. Like... And if Juve are the only ones that end up going to the table, then what choice does he really have? Um, so that's a really tough situation for Roma to be in, really. But for Karlsdorf, hopefully it should mean that it's so abundantly clear that he's for sale, that you know the offers start coming in and, and he finds something. And I think anything, literally anything will do. Is he better than Wamba Saka? Uh, attacking, yeah. Yeah. Well, probably not well, a defending, though. No. Uh, mm. 
He'd be more suited to. I would really not like seeing. I would really not like seeing Wambasaka at right wing back for Roma. Things I I really, I think, things I never want to see. No, that Um, sounds awful. Wambasaka at right wing back. You you weren't going to suggest a swap. Were you going to suggest a swap, Dean? Yeah, I said swap. Yeah, uh, no, thanks. I tell you what, Fulham and Fulham and Roma straight swap deal. Kevin and Babu for Rick Karsdorp. Who says no? Who says no? Yeah, I mean, he's clearly going to Crystal Palace, this guy, isn't he? So it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, anywhere will do for Rick Karsdorp. Um, that basically brings to an end in the rankings, but I just did want to mention a few honourable mentions. Uh, Real Madrid's out-of-contract lost lads, Mariano Diaz, Alvaro Odriozola, and Danny Ceballos. I don't think anyone's actually going to leave Real Madrid. Um, Ancelotti has basically come out and said he wants to use the squad until the end of the season, but all three of these are out-of-contract in the summer. So you'd imagine that if a right offer came in, I think especially for Audrey Zola, um, then maybe they would have a look at it. Uh, a couple of lads marooned in Portugal, Giovanni Cabral and Lucas Verissimo. Uh, Verissimo in particular is quite interesting. Had a really good spell for Benfica, but got a long-term injury and has just not been able to force his way back into the plans. So I think anybody who's looking for a centre-back uh, could do a lot worse than looking at Lucas Verissimo. Um, anyone need a full-back? Aaron Wambasaka, Brandon Williams, remember him? Uh, mm-hmm. Once gave Christian Eriksen a hug. I think that's basically what he's <laughs> most known for these days. Uh, and Nico Schultz, who Sam had actually forgotten existed, is at Dortmund still. But uh, if anyone needs a left wing back, feels like he is on the market. Um, and then there's the sort of out of favour wing boys. Uh, Jelson Martins at Monaco has struggle for minutes. Hakim Ziyech, I think, still probably on the table if anyone was trying to get him out of Chelsea. And Thomas Lamar, who I did originally have in the ranking, but Sam made the very good point that if Charles Felix leaves, are Atleti going to need him? And I think the answer is probably yes. He's also, though, out of contract in the summer. So I think the right offer for Thomas Lamar might actually interest Oh, they spent so much money, money on back. him, didn't they? Oh, 72 my... million euros, I believe. 72 million euros and, he's, and he could leave for three. Yeah. So that's their interest. They were my honourable mentions. Um, and with times. that, we come to the end of the main ranking. Well done, mate. Well, we'll see you next year. But that was really good. We really enjoyed it. And you it was very... so long that it took me a year to actually write it. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, good, good vision there and, and what was going to be in, in place for this moment. Yeah, indeed. Well, thank you very much. Uh, right. After the break, we've got Mel of the Week and the gibberish rankings. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC part three here. And we start as ever with Mr. Dean Jones. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Adam LaFondra. Yeah. Yeah. So Adam LaFondra, he plays for Sydney FC and he missed two penalties against Wellington Phoenix, who only had nine players on the pitch but were one nil up now the first penalty came after a handball decision keeper makes a save a funder thinking oh no i've missed my chance but from the follow-up like literally seconds later really sydney are trying to force the ball back towards the goal there's another handball there's another <laughs> handball that leads to another penalty being awarded and Alf, Adam LaFondra, gets the chance to make amends for his miss so second pen Alf standing there, goal waiting in front of him. He's thinking, what shall I do? He does a Harry Kane. He skies it. It's worse than Harry Kane. He goes miles over. Rubbish. Absolute melon. He just crumples into the floor. 
uh wellington keepers jumping up and down they're all they're all going crazy they pulled off the one nil win that's melanish behavior missing two pens in added time <laughs> was it like 95 and 97 or something or? especially because yeah, the first one isn't the first one isn't a penalty so i was really glad they didn't here's justice wasn't it? he didn't, didn't score but the second one is <laughs> absolutely yeah. melon i loved watching this come on you nicks stand up with your nicks um, as far scenes. as i'm concerned right dean um, yeah, also, it's time for shout out of the week. And this week's shout out of the week is Taran Kim, who's actually one of our patrons. Um, so this is uh, an elite, uh, an elite all star of the of the rank squad. Um, and he actually sent in a message. He said, look, I'm not an Apple user. So I gave you five stars on Spotify instead. And here is my submission as to what I would write as your review. By the way, this is totally fine. If you listen on Spotify, please do give us five stars on there. That is as legit. Now, he says, I've been following ranks since mid-2020. And I can honestly say it's the most joy I get from any of the phone-related content I subscribe to. I'm tempted to make a joke here. I'm not going to. He says, the secret (laughs) to a great podcast is being inviting while also rewarding those who listen and subscribe by making them feel in on it, allowing them to get to know the hosts and genuinely feel engaged. You boys give such great insight on the beautiful game, but the things that stick with me most is when I find myself laughing out loud at the three of you just shooting the shit together. During last week's Melon segment, Smash It Top Bins had me absolutely floored, and I thought about it today and I laughed out loud again. Those little moments stick with you and they make me so excited for the days of the week a new pod is released, which of course is three days a week if you're with us on Patreon. More at the moment because of our special transfer episode. Um, He says, thank you for what I can say fairly confidently. It's a lot of work for you guys for not nearly enough financial payback and for loving it so much to keep us engaged regardless. I'll finish with a tidbit about myself that I've been meaning to reveal for a while. For the first year of listening to this pod, I was convinced that... It's time for Melon of the Week was a pre-recorded bit of Dean that was just the same every week. And I was stunned when I realized it wasn't. Thanks, Rank Scott. <laughs> yeah. That's I, how, I, that's I how consistent you are, huh? Yeah, that, that's, that's a real compliment. I think that might be going on my CV that I can pull that off so consistently that you thought for a year that it was a recording. Thanks, mate. Very good. Very good. Get your reviews in now, people. Please do on Apple, Spotify. Just maybe look at the um, the Spotify thing, actually. 1,300 star reviews on Spotify with an average of 4.9. People doing the Lord's work over here. Not bad. Go on a rank squad. Go on a rank squad. It's paying off, lad. That's the gibberish siren. It was a long one. Sometimes, sometimes maybe do. I felt like I had to make up for last week's really poor attempt. So, well, the people do actually like the the pathetic ones, don't they? Yeah. Well, the I'm not feeling Peter pathetic out. today. I'm actually feeling pretty good today. Okay. Um, feeling in the ascendancy, in the hot seat, in the driving. You know, with the wheel. Yeah, riding high after a great ranking. There's no better feeling. Bosh. Bosh. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, it is time for gibberish, and this week actually, it's it's kind of a ranking, but it's more it's more a wider conversation about how little attention I pay to going through my email inbox and getting rid of all those nasty subscription emails that you end up on the back of and, 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 and how little attention I pay to the rising number of unread emails that would probably send some people just over the, like through, through the looking glass, honestly, like it's, 
got 71,000 unread emails in my personal account, which does feel high now I think about it, actually, and a bit nervous. But rest assured, most most of them come from companies like the ones I'm going to talk about right now. And I've actually just gone through and picked out some of the strangest emails I get on a recurring basis. Um, so at number three, it's whichever overarching group owns O'Neill's Pub. Now I'd I say want O'Neill's. No, it's because it's well, maybe, but it's O'Neill's is maybe the group, but they have obviously O'Neill's Pub, and uh, I think I signed up to something there at the establishment in Carnaby Street about eight years ago, and I've been receiving emails from O'Neill's ever since. But they also send me emails from all of their other establishments as well, and that includes Miller and Carter Steakhouse, the Toby Carvery, the Ember <laughs> Inns Pub down the road. It's um. I've got more than 100 emails from, and some of these places I've actually never been to or haven't been to in five years or so. And I had a look through. I've got all the offers in the world from this. You sign up for one thing one in one place and you get emails from nine different other establishments for the next three years. It's terrible out there. Yeah, it's tough. It's yeah. tough out there. Really tough. So I've unsubscribed from that one. That one's done. At number two, I'm still getting emails from football clubs some of which I haven't been to see for a long time, some of which I've never even been to. And I don't really understand this one. So first of all, I found that I'm still getting emails from Jurgardens, who are a Swedish club that I went to watch in 2016. Uh, I've been unable to translate the emails to find out where the unsubscribe button is. So I still get those, unfortunately. <laughs> I also get emails from LAFC every week. I reckon this is Dean Jones's work. But I, okay, maybe he signed me up, but I... I've never shown any interest in LAFC. I've never been to LA. Why do I get an email from them every single week? I don't know, mate. I don't know. I also get them from all sorts of places, like Fulham and Southampton and Chelsea and all that. Like anyway, you've bought tickets. Anywhere you've, you've, tickets. you've bought a ticket, you just get them. But LAFC, I, get, I get them from ho- Hotel Football at Old Trafford quite a lot. Do you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. But LAFC just I stuck out to me is that makes no sense. I've never even been to the to the West Coast. Anyway, the weirdest one in there is W.J. King. Now, you may not know what this is, and I really really don't blame you. It is a group of local garages or uh, repair repair places for cars. Uh, I took my car there for a service, mandatory, uh, according to my lease. And I I don't know what they entered me into the system as in terms of, like, my status or my job, but I've been getting, like, very strange emails from them, stuff that you would not expect to get from your local repair garage. First of all, they sent me an offer for two years complimentary roadside assistance, which I thought was a bit odd because, well, I don't need it because it's part of the lease, but I don't know why, I don't know what qualifies me for that. Then I got an invitation as a VIP to one of their sales conventions. I thought, okay, bit odd. Don't think I need to go to that. Not involved in the car industry at all. And then this this Christmas, I got invited to their winter ball. <laughs> like, nice. What did what did W J King think I am? Who do they think I am? Why they think a local celebrity? They looked Why? on Twitter and saw you had a blue tick and quite a lot of followers, and they were like, "Wow, we should get this guy involved." Wow, the blue tick's worthless now, don't they know? Unbelievable. Mm. The winter ball. I should have gone. Would have been unbelievable. Have yeah. yeah, it would have been. It would have been lit. Unbelievable, but um, anyway, this is a this is a, a a nice annual reminder for everybody to go through their inbox when they get ten minutes and sift out all the crap. 
look for look look for all the rubbish and unsubscribe to as many as you can so your phone just doesn't go bling 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 all day long yeah next door is the one that sends me so many i'm like yeah that, that's got to go i'm afraid that's mm. i just can't remember my password to log in to unsubscribe so unfortunately <laughs> i'm stuck with next door emails uh, from an area i don't even live in anymore but alas here we are mm. here we are i think that's probably all we've got time for here though on ranks fc so all that's left for me to do is to say thank you to you all for listening as ever thank you so much to our rank god mr sam Tai. cheers mate Thank you so much to our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. Thank you to me for all my hard work today. I've been Jack Collins, <laughs> thank you, mate. of hearts. And thank you as ever for tuning in. We'll be back, of course, next week. Although if you do join us on Patreon, there's going to be more from Dean's transfer show and, of course, the spotlight later in the week as well. The link, as ever, is in the description. Take it easy, gang. Peace.